And as we grab our Bibles, we'll turn to Matthew chapter 17 again. Matthew chapter 17. I thought I was in the right place, but I'm not. So sorry about that, everyone. Matthew 17. And we're in verse 22 and 23. Uh, And as we get ready to start this morning, just think about where we've been in Matthew chapter 17. As we've been moving up through this, how, how... Christ has just worked everything towards his glory and, and the miracles that he has done. And as he has been working this direction, think of, you know, even back in Matthew chapter 16, what has taken place. And it almost seems like you've got a break here in the action of what is going on. But it's, it's as if Christ is, after he's getting done with the miracles... He turns to his disciples and he's getting ready to say something and try to explain something again. Have you ever tried to explain something a few times to your kids and they just do not get it? Wives, have you ever tried to explain something to your husband a few times and he just does? He hears the first part and it's like he zones off and he misses the whole second part. I mean, oh, oh back over yeah that happens all the time i forget what it was i think it was friday day was it last night <laughs> daily was talking to me and and i catch the first part of it and then i'm off in never never land and, and come back i'm like wait a minute whatever you said for the last 10 seconds or 20 seconds can you repeat that because i just zoned out and it's good for me to realize when i've zoned out and she's patient enough to go over it again with me. But it's good for me to remember that I do that. My kids do that. You know, she does that sometimes too. I can't ever point to it, but I'm sure she does. And when we see what happens here with the disciples, uh, this is just almost comical. But there's so much that we can learn from it. Matthew chapter 17, verses 22 and 23. Just two short verses. And it... It's so simple, it should be self-explanatory, but I think there's more in this than what we might realize if we'll just pay attention to it. It says this, And while he abode in Galilee, Jesus said to them, The Son of Man shall be betrayed unto the hands of men, and they shall kill him, and the third day he shall rise again. And they were exceeding exceeding sorry. Uh, Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Dear Father God, thank you so much for your word that you've given to us. Lord, I pray you would help us as we look at this uh, little section that you've put in here uh, today. I pray you would help us to take it to heart, help us to understand it maybe just a little bit better, uh, or see it maybe from a different point of view, and and help us to apply it to our lives today. Uh, Lord, I pray you would just help us to trust you in every situation that we're in, and help us to seek your honor and glory. Uh, We love you and praise you. We're looking forward to seeing you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Uh, As we get started with this and and just remember some of the things that have gone on with this. Last last week even, uh, we referred, the the portion that we looked at uh, referred to a couple of places in Mark and in uh, Luke. Uh, This does the exact same thing. It's almost recorded uh, the exact same way, but it's It gives a little bit of a nuance in there. Uh, But when you see that Jesus turns to his disciples, they're up in Galilee. They've just had these miracles that they've been performing. People have been raised from the dead. 
people have been healed, uh, the deaf have started hearing. They're starting to see some amazing things, but Jesus is still turning to them and saying to Now, they're in Galilee, so let, let's think about this before we get going very far. How far is Galilee from Jerusalem? I meant to look this up on Google just to see how far it was. But if I remember correctly, if you're walking this way, uh, Robert, think about this. If you were to have to walk from Frankfurt to Stuttgart, do you know where Frankfurt is? No, you don't know where Frankfurt is. Okay. Um, boy, how do, I, how do I get this into um, something that Robert might appreciate? Um, Evan, how far away did you drive for your vacation with the kids? Was it a two-hour drive? About an hour and a half. Okay, an hour and a half. If you had to walk from here to where you went to your vacation, that's probably about as far as Jesus was from Jerusalem with his disciples. They're going to walk this. They've already walked it several times, okay? They, it would take about a week to nine or ten days to walk it because they were still going around Samaria. Am I right there, Evan? Because you're looking it up. I see that. Up to walk would take, yeah, it would take a full day. Uh, One day at seven hours, 151 kilometers from the Sea of Galilee to, to Jerusalem. Okay. But if you're walking that, you know, it's going to take more than a day, right? That's going to take, you know. That's walk. Oh, yeah. Right. Yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah. So you're going to take a long time to get there. You're going to take several days to get there. And so Jesus is giving them plenty of time to process what he's giving to them. Um, he, he's given them something or he's getting ready to give them something as they start to move down uh, and walk along the Jordan River. And when you walk, um, when you go out on walks, do you talk? very much when you're out on walks. Daylene and I have been taking walks every day, uh, just enjoying each other's company, but we talk a lot while we're out. I think that's what Jesus, you know, why did he tell them all the way back here? It's so that as they're walking, if they had questions about it, they could ask him. If they didn't understand it a little bit, maybe they could get a little bit of clarification. Um, but it seems like all along the way, they don't even ask him about it. They, 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 they did not understand what he was getting ready to say. And then something happened that, you know, it says there at the very last, they were sorrowful. In Mark, I think it's Mark chapter uh, 9, and then in Luke chapter 9 also it says that they were um, not just understanding, they were ashamed because they didn't understand it. And if you don't understand something and you're ashamed that you don't understand it, what's your tendency to do? If you don't understand something and you feel ashamed that somebody has brought something up and you don't understand it, what's our tendency as human beings? What do we do? We just kind of ignore it. You want to forget about it. It's like if you've got a... Nobody does this anymore, but I used to have a check register. You know, you'd write out a check. And Courtney is saying, I know about that. I've taken, you know, she's probably the only student in here that knows. You'd write out your check and then you would go to the back of your checkbook and you would write it down in your registry that 
I wrote out this check to this place for this amount on this date. And, and so it's almost like you're writing it out twice. And, and if you were like me, writing it out once was enough trouble. Writing it out twice, you know, that just never happened. And so when it came to the end of the month and I'm supposed to take and, and balance my checkbook, it was like, eh, I'll just leave it. I'll just leave it. And so about six months down the road, and where did all my money go? Well, haven't you balanced your checkbook? You know, you just don't want to talk about it. You don't want to tell anybody about it. Once I got married, I mean, it was great though. Damien balanced the checkbook every month. And if we were off a penny, we were looking for that penny under the couch and, you know, wherever. She wanted it done right. Uh, but for me, that just wasn't my strong point. And so I kind of ignored it. Well, here the, the disciples, it seems like they're ignoring what Jesus is saying. They don't understand it. And, and so they're trying to separate themselves from it. Why, why do you think they might have been afraid, though, to ask Jesus for help understanding this? Well, back in chapter 16, what happened? He said the, almost the exact same thing. We're going to go to Jerusalem, and I'm going to die. And what did Peter do? Not so, Lord. That's not going to happen. We will take care of you. And what did Jesus say to Peter back in chapter 16, Matthew chapter 16? Get thee behind me, Satan. You don't say, I think I've got it written down here, Matthew chapter 16, verse 20, uh, 23. It says, but he turned and said unto Peter, get thee behind me, Satan. Thou art an offense unto me, for thou savorest not the things of God, but those that are of men. Okay, you've already heard this from Jesus once. Now you don't understand and you're a little bit sorrowful. You you don't understand and you're, it's awkward. And are you going to go to him and say, wait a minute, can you explain this to me? Because of what he said to Peter, you probably misunderstood that. It's an offense to talk to Jesus about this. Okay, I won't talk to him about it. Do you see how this, this builds up if you separate the communication out of this and the disciples are pulling away from Jesus almost because what's going on here? They're sorrowful, they're scared, and then there's something else going on as they start walking. The time that they're using at, on their walk is not time that they're using to try to figure out what Jesus is telling them. Uh, what were they doing on their walk? Well, if you look in chapter 18, which we're getting ready to go to next in the next few weeks, um, it says, at, uh, at the same time came the disciples unto Jesus, saying, Who is greatest in the kingdom of heaven? They were trying to figure out who was going to be the greatest and, and what quality was going to make them the greatest. And what did Jesus do? He took little children and put them forward. They're the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. And, and so the disciples, again, they're thinking like we as human beings normally think. We're thinking earthly. They were thinking uh, physical. They were not thinking spiritually. They weren't thinking on a different level. And Christ was trying to pull them up to a different level uh, of understanding along the way. And I don't think they even heard what he said because they were not thinking on the same level that he was. So what did he say? Well, down in verse 22, he says this. The son of man shall be betrayed. 
what does it mean to be betrayed? Well, when you read the commentaries on this, they hit it really quick, very fast. Who betrayed Jesus? Does anybody remember? Oh, who, Robert? Judas Iscariot betrayed Jesus. And, and so we look back on it and we just say, oh, bad Judas here. We know who's going to betray Jesus. But wait a minute. Was he the only one that betrayed Jesus? Was he the only one that messed up there? Who else messed up? Peter did. I mean, what did Peter do? He denied Christ three times. I mean, they ask and they, he says three times, I don't know the fella. I, with cursing, I mean, if you started hearing him curse, you would have said, let's wash the man's mouth out with soap because he's, you know, he can't be a follower of Jesus and talk that way. It's funny how we think sometimes. And, and so Peter was getting ready to betray Jesus, but was he the only one too? Were, was it just him and, and Judas Iscariot that betrayed Jesus? What else happened? All of them did. All of them did. They all ran away. In fact, I think it's uh, in one of the Gospels talks about a young man that was following afar off and he left his cloak or whatever he was wearing. Somebody tried to grab him and he took off running naked through town uh, trying to get away. Everybody left. Everybody fled from Jesus. And, and think about it. In the Jewish law, all they needed to stop everything going on were two men to come forward and say, this is not right. And, and you find in John's account, John was there. So John had fled, but John repented and came back, it appears, and was ready to stand up for Jesus. And John looks and sees Peter outside there. and Hey, come on in there. It, it makes it pretty plain what, what John is trying to do. And Peter, mm -mm, I don't know him with cursings. But if any of the others had gotten close, they could have come in and stood up for Jesus and said, no, that's not what he said. You, you've misinterpreted what he said. Stop the trial. And they could have all stopped the trial. But they all betrayed Jesus. They all turned their back on him. They all ran from him. Why? Why did this happen? And, and what's going on here? Well, I think it's because they were asking the wrong question. Uh, you see right before when they betray him, is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? Is it I, Lord? And, and as I was thinking this through, what question should they have been asking? It, they probably shouldn't have asked who, but Lord, I know I have this tendency. I, I probably will betray you. What could I do? What needs to happen so that I don't betray you, Lord? I mean, if you stop and think about what question could have stopped any of them, instead of who is it, I mean, why were they asking who is it that's going to betray him? We're going to take the guy out. I mean, that was their thought, it appears to me, early on. If we can figure out who this guy is that's going to betray him, we'll take him out, and, and it's not going to happen. But each and every one of them betrayed him. And so the question should have been, what can I do to make sure that I am not the one that betrays you? If, if they would have all come at it from that point of view, and I think that's our problem. Oftentimes we don't ask the right questions. 
we get in, in a mindset of doing things and we stop asking the right questions and we stop looking for the right answers. Because what happens when you're afraid? What happens when you're sorrowful? Your creative juices, if you will, they shut down. It, it's a proven fact what's going on in your mind. You stop thinking creatively and you get into this flight mode or this depression mode and you just shut down and you can't work. You can't move forward. They needed to be moving forward, if you will, thinking about what can we do so that we won't betray Jesus? Because this was obviously something that was affecting them. What was the next thing? He says, the son of man shall be betrayed unto the hands of men and they shall kill him. Okay, this gets even worse because from our point of view, what's the last stage? When things can't get any worse, what happens? Robert, when things can't get any worse, what happens? You die, right? I mean, that's the last thing. You, you fight it, you fight it, you fight it. I wrote down here, uh, death is one of these things. It, it's our greatest enemy from day one. You, you're running from it, and eventually it'll catch you. That's just the way it is. You're running from death, and eventually it'll catch, catch you. Why is that? Well, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Uh, the wages of sin is death. Death catches us all because we have sinned. Sin is, the wages of sin is death. And we've all sinned. So therefore we've all earned death. So what he's telling them here is, what they hear is, this is futile. We're, I'm going to die. And if he dies, their hopes are, are, are crushed. And so that's where they stop listening is, I am going to die. And I think all of us, when we hear that, your mind just shuts down. You stop working on the problem. If you hear, there's no hope here, you're dead. You stop working on the problem, you just give up. And you're sorrowful. Unless you're thinking a little bit differently. And when you start thinking a little bit differently that this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. You know, we've all heard that song, haven't we not? Um, but oftentimes that's not the way we think, that this is just a temporary state. Uh, I love to take with the kids when I'm uh, teaching a little Sunday school class or something, and, and I'll pull out sometimes my uh, paracord. And, and what happens when you snip off the end of the paracord? Has anybody ever done that? It's Most frayed. What? It's frayed. It's frayed. It's going all over the place. And, and you have to burn it to, to pull it back in so that it's frayed and go everywhere. And, and I like to point out to the kids, that frayed section is, in comparison, that frayed section is our life. And the rest of this paracord that stretches the length of the room is, that's eternity. And, and that doesn't even come close to showing what eternity is compared to, but What's more important, this frayed section or that? All the little kids can say, well, that's more important than this right here. It's easy to see, but it's hard for us to grasp that in the moment. And that was hard for them to grasp that there's more after death. Death is the final straw. That's the last enemy. And if he dies, then death has won. 
and they didn't listen to the rest of the, the saying. So what else does he say? There's bad news, I'm going to be betrayed. There's more bad news, I'm going to die. But, and he says, and the third day he shall rise again. That's all they needed to know. After three days, I'm going to defeat death. But it's like they didn't even hear that section. Why was it so important that he tell them, after three days, I'm going to rise? How many times did he tell them this? I didn't count it up because sometimes it's hard to, he said it here and here and here, and you've got four different gospels, and he's saying it in different places. So it's hard to make up how many times did he tell, but it was numerous times that he told them, after three days, I'm going to rise. One of the reasons why three days was so important was the, in the Jewish mindset, after three days, the spirit left the body. The, they thought in their mind that the spirit hovered around and stayed there for three days, or some of them believed this. And, and that after three days, they were gone, and there was no coming back. Which is funny because how, how many days had Lazarus been dead when Jesus walks in? To raise him from the dead. Four days. And, and he is proving it doesn't matter the time frame here. I am I'm the resurrection and the life. He that believeth on me, though he were dead, yet shall he live. Believest thou this? And, and Martha says, I believe. But then she's shocked when, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. But he was doing this to, to show them I am. Am God. I have control of this all. I am in charge here. And they just didn't get it because they stopped one comma too early. They didn't get, and the third day he shall rise again. They didn't catch that because what happens if, if, if you're dead, you're laying there dead, everybody thinks you're dead, and what happens if you rise from the dead? Well, death is defeated. You're, do you have anything more to be afraid of after that? I mean, if, if you're laying there dead and then all of a sudden your eyes from the... There's nothing to be afraid of. I, it, it always baffles me when you read through John's account of um, what happened uh, with Lazarus. Because of what happened with Lazarus, they went out and they took counsel to kill Lazarus. And I'm thinking to myself... He was dead, and now he's alive again. And you really think you're going to threaten him to be quiet with death? What are you going to use to threaten him with anymore? I mean, that's just the silliest thing. I, you know, it's like threatening somebody that knows how to swim. Well, I'm going to throw you in the river. It's like, sure, let's go. You know? You know, once I had learned how to swim, my dad couldn't use that as a scare tactic anymore. I'm going to throw you in the river. It's like, all right, let's go swimming. Instead of when I couldn't swim, it was like, oh, no, I can't swim. And then once you learn how to swim, what, what do you do? You know, you can't wait to get into the swimming pool, right? You know, it's, it's fun. And, and so I think that's how Lazarus was here. He couldn't, what are you going to scare him with? And... and the disciples just did not hear this. So the disciples took, the, took this the wrong way. Um, they should have been uh, excited about what Jesus was getting ready to do. Instead, they were sorrowful. Uh, they should have been looking forward to this, where he was going with it. Instead, they were 
zurückgehalten. Um, I don't know how to, to phrase that any better, but they should have had a lot of questions for Jesus because had anybody ever raised themselves from the dead before? The closest thing that we have to someone raising from the dead with that power is Elisha. Does anybody know what happened with Elisha? Yeah, we've they got Courtney up here. Into the sepulchre. As soon as he hit the bones, he put on his feet. Right. Yeah. As soon as the person that was dead hit the bones of Elisha, the person that was dead rose from the dead. You know, think about getting ready to bury somebody and all of a sudden they jump back up out of the grave. I mean, that's scary. When I was a kid, one of the first funerals I ever went to, um, I think it was my brother or sister that told the story of the person that had died sitting up in their chair. And so they laid them in the coffin. And as the funeral's going on, they sit back up because they died with, what is it called, rigor mortis? And, and they didn't secure the body in the casket. And so they sat back up in their sitting position and everybody's freaking out. <laughs> They've set up. And, uh, you know, it's scary because when somebody's dead, that's the last thing. You don't expect anything more. And so what should they have been asking Jesus? What's going on here? How, how should I react? What should I do? I mean, any question. But they kept silent. They didn't talk about it. They didn't speak about it. They just... Let's talk about something totally different. And they weren't focused on what they should have been focused on. Why was Jesus getting ready to do this? Well, you could say he was doing it so he could save us. Okay, but I think that's a secondary reason for why Jesus died. Why did Jesus die? It was for the glory of the Father. The glory of the Father. And I think if the, the disciples would have kept that in mind... This is all being done for the glory of the Father. Jesus doesn't do anything except for the glory of the Father. So how can we move forward here? How should we react? And what did he tell Peter? What did he tell the three disciples when they were in the garden? Watch and pray that ye enter not into temptation. They were just getting ready to go through that. If they would have been praying the whole walk down to Jerusalem... How much prayer time would they have gotten in and how much more effective or how much more prepared would they have been for this situation would they have been had they been praying as they got ready to get into it? I think that's why Jesus allows us sometimes and, and most of the time we see a problem coming before we are in it. We see something coming on the horizon. Why is that? Partly, I think, so we can pray about it. So we can start spending time in prayer. God, make me ready for this. God, help me to be ready to go through this. God, give me wisdom to go through this. God, show me what to do going through this. The, the Bible tells us, in this world, we will have problems. We will have tribulation. Fear not. I have what? Overcome the world. And, and so... Part of the problem for us as we start to look at the situation here, because each and every one of us are going to be faced with death. Each and every one of us are going to be faced with betrayal. I mean, how many of us have been betrayed by somebody at some point or another in, in our lives? People 
say things or do things, and oftentimes it's people that are very close to us. Our spouse, I mean, there have been times that I've said things that have on purpose hurt Daylene. I know it. I, I, I know I've said things that, and I've had to come back and apologize. But in that time, she's been be- betrayed. How do you react to that? Do you pick up a stick and start, you know, is that the proper response? No. Well, sometimes, right, Robert? Yeah, no. But we're all going to be betrayed, are we not? We're going to be betrayed by people that are close to us. We're going to be betrayed by friends. We're probably going to be betrayed by people in charge of us at times. Uh, and, And how do we respond to that? Because everybody is betrayed. I mean, even Jesus is betrayed. How do you respond? Start praying for him. The Bible tells us that, uh, that we are to pray for those that despitefully use us and persecute us. That we can be like our Father which is in heaven. We're supposed to be praying for them. Why? What did Jesus pray on the cross? He said, Father, forgive them. Why? Because they don't know what they're doing. They know not what they do. And if we can learn to be praying for someone, isn't that most of the reason why we betray somebody? We don't understand the situation completely. When we get ready to betray someone or when we have betrayed someone and realize, oh, no, I betrayed Jesus. What's the best thing to do? To go back, I am sorry, I did not understand and try to understand What's going on here? So that the next time I'm in that situation, I don't betray him again. But when we're betrayed, we ought to be praying for those people because they don't understand what they're doing. And it could be us the next time that betrays somebody. And we need to be praying for them. Prayer is the key here. Prayer would have been the key for the disciples, or it was the key, and they missed it. And it's so easy to look at them and say, "Ah, you guys, you messed up. But for us, how often do we pray about the situations? How often, how is our prayer life? I mean, mine is not where it needs to be. I need to be praying more. Uh, I'm reminded of this all the time. Brother Woody over in Lunchstool, uh, he is a great reminder of this, that we need to pray more. Do we, any of us, pray like we ought to pray? What does the Bible tell us? Uh, pray without ceasing. Uh, and none of us pray without ceasing. I mean, we just don't. We get obsessed with other things and we stop praying and talking to our father about it. Because, I mean, he knows everything. I, I, I'm not trying to let anything out of the bag, but does Robert know what school he's going to yet? Have you made a decision? You haven't made a decision. Do, do you know God knows? God knows exactly where you're going to go. Uh, and, and God knows the bullies that you're going to face there. Because they're probably bullies that are there. They're bigger than you, right? You know. And, and they're probably going to pick on you. And God knows about that. And you're like, I don't want to go to school. You, God understands this. And what sh- should your response be? God, you know what, what I'm getting ready to go through. Please help me to do it for your glory. That, that should be our prayer. That should be our response. You know. Anders, do you know where you're going for your career after this semester? Do you know where? Do you know God knows that? You know there's probably going to be bullies there too. <laughs> it never stops. It never stops. 
uh, Cameron, you know, there's probably going to be bullies where you're at over there in, in Ramstein. It, it just, they're going to pick on you because, you know, whatever. There's always somebody that's going to betray you. And there's always somebody that's going to be pushing and, and trying to get an advantage by putting you down. That's exactly what they were doing with Jesus. And we need to understand that it's about God's glory, not about our comfort. Okay? It's about his glory, not our comfort. We need to also understand that God does things in his timing and not our timing. When, when he said this, they were a long ways away. He was doing it in his timing to get them ready. I, I even think about when Christ was born. Galatians chapter 4, verses 4 and 5, it says this. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth a son made of a woman, made under the, the law, to redeem them that are under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. He did this in the perfect time. When you look back through history, if he would have done it even a couple hundred years earlier, it wouldn't have had the effect that it had. If he would have waited a couple hundred years or even 70 years later, what happened 70 years after this? The Jewish nation was destroyed. You know, so it was the perfect time to be able to dispense the gospel to all the world. And God knew exactly what he was doing. We need to remember that we're doing this for the honor and glory of God. Romans chapter 3 verse 23 says, For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It's a sin to not think about the glory of God when you're in a situation. It, it, you might say, well, that seems very strict. That's what we were created. If you count sin as missing the mark, okay, and that's what sin means. You've missed the mark. It's like you're out on the archery range. Cameron and I like to go out. And, and you're, you're pulling back. You're thinking through your, your process. And right as you get ready to shoot, your arrow slides off of the, the, the little holder thing there, um, the rest, and, and you shoot, and it hits up there close, but it misses the 10 mark. Is that a sin? Well, according to, I've missed the mark. I haven't hit what I'm aiming at, okay? And that was what sin is. What are we supposed to be aiming at? The glory of God. And the reason most people sin is because they don't understand the glory of God is what I was created for. You know, that's why we are a church. That's why we exist is to help people understand this is the most important thing. It's not this little bit right here about you being happy. It's about his glory through the whole thing. And once you start doing what you're created for, his glory, then happiness, joy not just happiness comes. I mean, I love to sit at my house and, and look at the pictures of our family. And I'm like, wow, they're doing what God created them for. They're doing what God created. I'm somewhat, and I hate to use this as a, in a bad sense, but I'm somewhat of a success here because do I have all the money? No, I don't have money. Uh, do I have lots of stuff? Well, we have more than what we need, but my kids are honoring God. And that's what the Bible... I have no greater joy than to see that my children are following in his footsteps. So when we, when we realize that 
our, our aim should be the glory of God. And we can do whatever we do, we can be glorifying God in it. If we can't, we need to stop doing it. The last thing, we should be careful about assuming the worst. They assumed the worst, and it caused so much problem. What do we do when we assume the worst? I've watched it even just this last week in, in our, our family. When you assume the worst, things go downhill quickly. But if you can stop yourself and start remembering, especially about God, that, no, he does love me. And, and I don't need to question that anymore. For God so loved the world that what? He gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. When we remember that, it should change everything. And, and that's the first verse that most of us memorized as children. But so often we forget that God loves me and I can trust him. If, if he gave Jesus so that I could be saved, what more would he be willing to do for me to help me through this situation? He wants my success more than I want my success. And we need to remember that there's a place to get information about how to get through whatever problem we're in. The Bible tells us in Psalm 119, verse 105, that a word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Are we using it? The disciples, they got discouraged. They got sorrowful. They got off track. And they ultimately all betrayed Jesus because of that. How are we going to make it through the trials that God brings us through? I'm reading through Job right now. And what I find so interesting is that God did this with Job. Not because God wanted Job to feel comfortable. It wasn't comfortable for Job. Not because... God was trying to teach Job something, but because God wanted to show Satan that man will stand. And wasn't that all worth it? I mean, if you're Job, you're like, well, I don't really like that. But at the end of everything, and you're looking back on it, it's like, well, that's all worth it. That's all worth it. And, and I, I'm sure Job would say that now. In the moment, it was tough. And we need to remember that in the moment, it's going to be tough. But we need to trust him, just like Job did. Just like Job said, naked came I from my mother's womb, and naked shall I return. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Are we blessing God? Are we bringing honor and glory to God? That should be our number one goal in life. So let's go ahead and close in a word of prayer. Dear Father God, thank you so much uh, for your word to us. Thank you so much for your love to us. Uh, thank you so much for the way you take care of us. Uh, Lord, I pray you would help us to remember what the disciples went through here, what they were going through. Uh, help us, uh, because we've seen you do so much already in our lives, uh, help us to always trust you. And, and Lord, I pray you would help us that we wouldn't betray you uh, when the trials come. We wouldn't betray you when the hard times come. And they will come. Uh, Lord, help us to stay faithful to you. Help us to take joy in knowing that you will work all things for your honor and glory and everything will be beautiful when you're done with it. Uh, we love you and we praise you. Lord, if there's someone that's watching and they don't know you as their personal savior, Lord, I pray you'd help them today to, to realize why you created them for your honor and glory. Uh, help them to, to come to a saving knowledge of you. We love you and praise you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thanks for joining with us online.
Uh, we'll look forward to having you with us next week. God bless. Thank you.